Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will. And I'm Tom Morrison. Listen in as we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with your friends. Tommy Bahami, welcome once again. We're out here again in Association Strong, firing up the atmosphere, man. How you doing today? Hey, Tom, how did you end the last one? We're not just strong. Strong. We're MTI. Or no, we're Association Strong. <laughs> MTI. Come on, dude. Let's try that again. I'm, we're not I'm just try- strong. We're Association Strong, buddy. I was trying to make a plug for my association. You know, man, so I'm the awesomely hyper. cheesy. I love it. So we've got a uh, another cool guest in our series of inviting uh, uh, leaders of associations. We've got uh, CEO and, um, and president of our president and CEO of the National Wooden Pallet and Container Association, Brent McClendon with us, who's a friend of yours. And thank you for bringing him on the show with us. Hey, Brent. Hey, Dave, how are you, sir? <laughs> Great. Yeah, so the, the, the point with bringing you on, Brent, is because Tom and I got a little sick of hearing each other's voices, and we wanted oh, another I, voice. Yeah, I can and understand what, that. What, what'd you say, Tom? <laughs> I said, no, I said, I can understand that. <laughs> so, so, Dave, if I, so if I could kind of tee this up for our listeners. Go ahead. There, you so tee why, it up. Why, why, is, why we want Brent on the show, because we just had Mark Dorsey on not too long ago to talk about the innovation and his association that this really propelled their value and stuff, but you know, I've been talking forever in keynotes called this talk called What's Your Uber? And it's about discovering that thing, that technology, that way of doing business outside of the normal things you would find in your association. It helps your members do business differently that creates great value for your association. And two quick examples of things I bring up is wouldn't have been awesome if the National Taxi Cab Association had discovered Uber technology. Think of what that meant for their association. What about if the hospitality industry had discovered Airbnb. What would that have meant to their association if they were the ones owning it and licensing it? So we've been searching around for associations that have really not in a book format brought innovation to the table, but they're actually doing it. And I'm excited. I remember it was probably about four years ago at a council manufacturing association meeting that Brent and I sat down after I had done my What's Your Uber talk in front of all these manufacturing executives. He says, Tom, we've done this and this is what we've done. And so now I'm excited four or five years later to now have Brent on the show to un- kind of unpack where it's at and how they went about getting their board to think really broad so they can jump into the market. So Brent, we're excited to have you here today, man. I know, I know you got lots to talk about with us. Well, thank you, Tom. And, and you and I do go, go way back with the, with the NAM, the CMA events. And I've, I've certainly enjoyed getting to know your experiences with so many other groups and, and where I think we all build off of that right these conversations just like we're gonna gonna have today and and it's it for me it's it's been a a great joy as we talk pallets right i mean right. who talk who talks pallets you know but now in the supply chain everyone's talking pallets so no it's a it's a thrill to join you all today hey tom before we get into so, pallets so, and wood can uh-huh. i i can can i just ask more of a general broad question yeah. You mind? Okay. So it's most of the association executives, not all of them, of course, but most use executive director, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in my experience, uh, this is not a complimentary comment about association. So uh, forgive me if I offend anyone out there, given <laughs> that that's our audience, but and maybe some people are going to nod and agree with this. Un- associations tend not to be the most entrepreneurial in mindset, right? And and there's a reason for that. It, that's why generally they're uh, um, nonprofits, right? So, right. so um, 
I'm curious, what triggered your organization to create the title CEO and president as opposed to executive director? Where do you think that came from? Well, I, I'll start with um, when you've seen an association, you've seen an association. Um, and so we're all going to have a different background, a different culture of the organization. Uh, I would also challenge you from a standpoint of innovation and linking that to nonprofit. Uh, nonprofit is a tax status. It has nothing to do with our innovative uh, drive that we get from our from our memberships. Um, and so in our case, yeah, our industry, they're they're strong entrepreneurs. Um, and they they expect that from the association. They want us growing, building, creating value. And I think the the title to some extent reflects that. You know, president and CEO versus a, a sort of a manager or executive director kind of kind of setup. But to a large extent, I think no matter what your title is in the nonprofit space, they're expecting you to to lead. They're expecting you to grow the organization and to be innovative in the products and services you bring. So I'm not sure it's that connected to the title or, or as much as maybe you might might think it is. Well, that's oh, wow. exactly why we have you on this podcast because of that mentality. So that was actually a great way to start this podcast, I think, because that is exactly why you're our guest today, that that perspective that you have. But here's what I here's what I'd like to uh, kind of add to that, though, because I've been sharing this for years of the last 10 or 15 years is I think and for association execs out there, it's really a question that for them to ask themselves. I have found that in doing strategic planning with a no, at least 25 organizations that I've cropped, cropped it up to two, two different types of leaders. You have one that are great governors. They run great board meetings. They know Robert's rules of law. They are parliamentarian. But when it comes to dissecting down needs, wants, desires of memberships at different levels and products to meet those, it's a very, um, you know, entrepreneurial Stephen Jobs, Bill Gates kind of um, entrepreneur, you know, mindset of that business savviness. And that's what me and Dave really kind of started this um, whole podcast is how to make a business savvy association. I think that's where the struggle is, is some of your older baby boomer generations, they run great board meetings and they empower people, but they're not the leader driving the ship for business innovation. I think that's just a challenge I threw out there for anybody listening in, you know, ask yourself, am I really the person this challenging us to be that innovative person. Cause you do have some people like you, Brent and Mark Dorsey and others that you come in every day and you're looking to see how you can meet the, the, the desires and uh, wants of your association. But I know a lot of them out there, they're basically running the association like a governorship and they're not really getting on top of the business stuff that's changing so fast. Yeah. So we're trying to find examples of that right. and bring them to the forefront. And that's, that's where we are today. So well, maybe be helpful. Yeah, I was going to say, Tom, um, you know me quite well, but the folks listening probably don't know our organization um, as well. Maybe I can give a 30,000 foot level of how we slot into this, this nonprofit uh, world. Would that, would that help? That would be great because I know everybody after you get done is going, I didn't think pallets were that important and damn they are. <laughs> well, <laughs> so yeah, I'd actually well, I love to, to interview you, you. If you have a partner in life, I'd love to interview them about your first date and find <laughs> out what, how would they describe pallets? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and it's so interesting. You'll talk to folks in the association community and they'll hear I'm representing the, the pallet sector and they go, there really is an association for everything, right? Thinking that their widget everybody knows about, but wood pallets, which move the world for some reason, are, are uniquely uh, positioned when it comes to association world. So it's, it's always a fun conversation. We, so we're based in Alexandria. 
we have uh, actually our headquarters office is there for all the work that uh, many people would expect of a society or, or a trade association. So our lobbying, our communications department, um, all of our events staff, our regulatory um, folks, they're all based there. But the product you and I talked about, this pallet design system, which is a software product, um, I base that out of an office in Blacksburg, Virginia. And that's where we have our structural engineers and our software engineers. Uh, that all, though, is encompassed by the 501c6 trade association, the, the National Wooden Pallet and Container Association. But we also have and, and manage a, a very effective uh, 501c3 foundation called the Pallet Foundation. And over the last few years ago, we've launched and continue to grow our political action committee. So those, those are the three uh, legs of our stool. And that sounds some pretty, I mean, you got, I see you got 11 staff that, <clears throat> man, you got to be working efficient because that is a lot of stuff going on for 11 staff for sure. Yeah, it, 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 it's very complimentary, though. So the foundation work and they fund, say, $500,000 a year in projects. The association's revenue is a little north of, of $4 million, But so much of that work ties together. We're, pr we're able to be very efficient in that work. We're not, we're not running all over the place in, in different directions. The industry itself and the association. So um, we have uh, around 670 members, 30 countries, though. So that could make us a bit unique to your audience right. is that that international footprint. And so we're very focused on R&D, um, an awful lot of science-based research, but also engineering research, as we'll talk about later with the software innovation that we're doing. Well, maybe we could jump into that now. I'm curious, like, at what point did Palette Design become something that your members said we need some of this or was it more of a steve jobs thing where they didn't know they wanted it and and you guys created it for them and then like boom it was like holy mackerel where why didn't we have an iphone our entire lives yeah so it 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 really was an accumulation of these entrepreneurs um recognition of what was going on in the supply chain they actually joined together in the mid-70s to build a pallet lab at virginia tech um, where they would do a bunch of testing. So it was, you know, how do you know your pallet is going to work? If you think of like the back deck on your house, you have confidence that you can have a party out there and it's not going to collapse, right? Well, that's what these pallets are moving product around the country. Um, there are these mini decks. And as, as you start looking at the almost infinite possibilities of size, the length of, of the pallet being an example, you, you know, you're not going to ship vinyl siding on the same pallet. You're going to ship concrete masonry blocks, right? So they each have their unique designs, the kind of fasteners they need. Well, now you throw in different wood properties, right? Softwood has different properties than hardwood. And they realized, wow, we, we have an opportunity here to, to develop uh, some solutions for the entire industry. Right, that allows them to customize solutions for the marketplace. And that led to this software program, this pallet design system that we'll speak a bit about. It was actually uh, released in 1984. You think back to 1984, that's when CD-ROMs were first released, the first uh, Apple Macintosh computer and some just great music uh, many of us uh, will, would still remember. Uh, and that, so they were thinking outside the box back then in the 1970s and the 1980s to say how can we how can how can we launch a, a software product? How many associations were thinking like that 
in the mid 1980s. So phenomenal industry. Yeah, you, you really uh, proved me wrong, at least in your case or in the case of, of your association. You really proved me wrong in terms of saying that generally associations are, are not entrepreneurially, mind, don't have that mindset, right? Um, so was it the members of the association, to the best of your knowledge, I mean, you were a kid back then, but to the best <laughs> right. of your knowledge, was was it uh the the members that brought this idea to the association and then the association was all open arms which by the way pretty unusual for an association to be completely open arms to the members talking to them right that's a, that's kind of we're just embracing that now is is figuring out better ways to listen to our membership but back in the 70s your association welcomed the member's perspective on saying, hey, here's something we need more of. And there's nobody in the industry doing it. No consultants out there in the industry is saying, hey, we can help you make better pallets. Yeah, certainly consultants exist and, and there are co some competing products globally, right? So the association has a very unique role though that we're providing with this. Um, and when you get to the foundation side, you know, you've got that nonprofit organization that's, that's funneling resources in R&D right, to, to solve some of these sort of critical supply chain challenges. And, and the work we're doing nowadays is uh, absolutely cutting edge science that nobody else in the world is doing. But to, to take you back, Dave, to that, th those days, no, it was, you know, Tom mentions, you, do you know the needs, wants, expectations of your members, right? We speak that language now fluidly. They absolutely were listening to them. They had a very strong leader that was very well respected. Um, we did a lot of work, as we still do with Virginia Tech, and, and so you find the right, you know, competencies and the right capacity. And they, they all came together, you know, with some active volunteers and, and innovative leadership. At the end of the day, you've got a resource emission, right? Have you built a shared unified vision? And then you got to resource that mission. And ultimately it goes back to the industry. You know, we're not the ones opening up our wallets to pay for it. It's they're the ones opening it up. But what comes back to and the reason associations are incredibly effective in this space is all revenue raised goes back to the businesses right right we're not building yachts we're resourcing the mission that they most want to see let me ask you something Brent. so so back when you know in the 80s this began to take shape and it i guess it existed at some at some level throughout the years when was it that someone said you know what it's kind of like the QR code. The QR code was developed and had this height and then it died off and then COVID hit. And now the QR code is like signing your, signing your signature. It's everywhere. So it had this, this lull and then now it's like the, everything. So when did the moment come to where somebody said, hey, that thing that we've been doing is kind of sitting here, that can help us solve some serious problems of the future. And now it's gone crazy. What, what was that moment like? Well, it was an exciting moment. I was I was able to to be a part of that. So when I came on, and this typically happens in the trade association community, you, you know, you bring on a new exec, and there's an opportunity to really step back and look at your strategic positioning and and where your opportunities. Uh, and we did that right after I came on. We brought in some some outside um, facilitators. Uh, we sat down. We when did, when um, was that, Brent? So nine years ago now, going on a little over eight years ago. And we, and we sat down with the group and, and we, we, we really began really extensively though with, uh, we had town hall meeting um, at our convention. We had focus group meetings. We interviewed our members. We had over 50% of our entire membership participate. 
And, and we were able then to sit down with different groups, whether it was the foundation side and, and, and really look at what's our positioning there. And there's been an awful lot of research on uh, environmental attributes of wood pallets. And I can speak to that, but that foundation after that strategic planning has gone from $20,000 a year in revenue to a half a million dollars a year in revenue. So creating that unified vision, this, this shared mission and, and resourcing it led to that. Well, it's the same thing on our advocacy, right? It led to the launch of our political action committee, our fly-in days and, and putting a lot of resources there, doubling our revenue as an association, dues, changes, et cetera. But on the software side, we really took a look at it and said, we currently have this amount of, of resources we're putting into this. And this is where we are. Where could we go? What does that vision look like? And that has led to us. We now have uh, real estate. We have uh, five uh, engineers. We've grown to 30 countries. We've translated the product into eight languages. Um, we're putting on workshops globally, and we have strategic alliances globally. And, and so all of that, Tom, back to your question, really came out of that, that just intense strategic deep dive eight, nine years ago. So there, there's a gentleman, Guillermo Ortiz from um, uh, NCARB, uh, that they also built a software platform. Now, they went in a different approach. From what I can gather, you built this platform. Well, somebody, before you started building this platform, mm -hmm. the software, as a part of the mem a member benefit in, inside mm -hmm. of uh, the association, correct? That, that's correct. I mean, there's, there has always been a separate licensing fee. So if you know, you, you can be a okay. member and access it at discounted rates, but yeah, there is a separate fee to use the, the software. But it's owned by the association, which correct. I think is interesting. Now, G, Guillermo, uh, goes by G. G uh, in NCARB, they had a, if I'm not mistaken, we're in, he's going to join us in this podcast in a future episode they spun off a for-profit business that was owned by, and I'm not sure exactly how that works. Maybe I, I might have that part wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was owned or there's a partnership or something like that, or maybe it was funded by the association, but it was a separate for-profit uh, business. I'm, I'm curious, have you given any thought to s spinning off the software as a for-profit element or, can you see an upside or a downside to either one? I mean, it's a significantly different model to have it as a part of the association where you're hiring developers, you're, you're, you're doing the marketing. If there is any marketing, you've got a completely different mindset about uh, um, driving revenue and growing a business versus using it as a tool to retain members. So I'm, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, do you? Spin it yeah. off as a for-profit or do you keep it as a part of the nonprofit? Well, I think all organizations look at what's the right structure at the right time. I mean, as, as I mentioned in just the last few years ago, we launched a PAC. Well, that has a certain structure, right? You, we chose to launch a, a 501c3 foundation. There's certainly some IRS tax advantage reasons why you, why you do that. And associations certainly look at whether they keep everything under their umbrella or they they roll things out as a for-profit subsidiary you know that's why we have legal counsel and we have outside organi organizations we call on to help us work through those decisions um at the appropriate time in our case when we looked at it the the relative merits to how we're running it is is really really strong 
Well, and the other thing to kind of think through is just the relationship side of it is I've seen organizations that take something like this and they move it into a for-profit entity, which has its own board. And later on, a lot of money coming through creates a lot of different personalities and everything's funny when you're making money, but then it creates a, some sense of a conflict between the two. Cause all of a sudden when you're two boards, the nonprofit that kind of started this thing now at for-profit, they can at some point get different, the different um, visions of what they want to do with it. So you just need to be, know that that's, that that's a, that's an untended consequence that can come from splitting it off um, in a, in a for-profit element um, just cause you're, you're going to have that potentially happen. People are going to, when they get all this pockets of money in the bank, they're going to have different visions of what they want to do with it. Well, and I spoke earlier, Tom, you know, when you talked about efficiency, the size of our staff, and, and I mentioned alignment, right? Mm -hmm. It's really important that you are aligned, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever our research or foundation does, that educational components of it, you know, does it meet needs that the PAC, right? That your government affairs program mm -hmm. needed? Does it advance some of the goals for the, the association itself uh, and support that? Or are they all separate um, activities? If they're separate activities, you're going to need additional staffing, right? You're going to have mm -hmm. a significant uh, overhead. And that's what associations try to look through is what's the right mix, right, of, of that capacity and competency to from efficiency standpoint so that dues is priced at a certain level to resource that mission or your events are, or in our case, our, our software. So, so I, I, I think ahead, it's... It, it's um, uh, you know, I'm, my mind is spinning right now about for-profit or non-profit when it comes to an innovative idea like this. And I think there's a lot to be said for uh, being a product of the people, you know, and not to say that actually means anything, but the, the fact that your members are essentially owners in the product, they're, they're practically shareholders in, in the product, which I think is is really cool do you how do you find there must be other uh, especially today there must be a lot of software companies that are um totally dedicating all the resources to building a great products um like this do you find that you're you're uh, maintaining competitiveness and why it, what what is it about your software that is better than other competitive systems like this? Yeah, Dave, that's an excellent, excellent question. First uh, way I would answer that is, is you answered it when you said it was a product of the people, right? The industry owns it. They know all the dollars that go into it uh, support the industry. Okay, so that's the first part of that engagement, right? You have a complete connection with the industry. The second part, since it is their product, you know immediately their their needs, right? We talked to needs, wants, expectations. You're hearing weekly how they're using it, how they've integrated into their business, the questions they're getting from their customers, uh, how it's solving issues, or it couldn't solve this issue. Can we make this tweak in the next release? And that was, that was also part of what's led to our rapid global expansion was we're able now to, to release two versions a year. So if you call us and you have issues and they're shared, there's a whole process that ranks things based on the cost to implement a user suggestion, either in staff time or resources or, or R&D. But ultimately, we can get product to market very, very quick that, it, that exactly meets the needs of the marketplace. And we can do it in eight languages, right? So when you start building in that kind of 
fluidity and flexibility, you're going to maintain a dominant market share. I mean, we are, and we speak to this, but the industry speaks to this. You know, we are the global standard of palette design. We're the international language, if I can, of palette design. Do you, I mean, do you run it like a software company? And I'm intrigued being a software company uh, or being the, the uh, one of the co-founders of a software company, second one, actually. I mean, do you have a sales team? Do you have a, let me see, I'm on the site and it says request free trial, right? Or, yeah. I mean, you can't, it, I'm, I'm assuming that's not all just completely automated. You need people involved to make that happen. Uh, there's probably demos that you need. There's training, there's support. So you must have a whole team dedicated, of course, to this much like a company would, right? That, that's that's right, and and all the the words you use, sprints or agile design, and and you know all the the software lingo. I have quickly <laughs> uh, been uh, indoctrinated. Many of us in the nonprofit world are are not raised to be software uh, company you know execs, and so yeah, it's a, it's a unique uh, position. You know, I came up through the advocacy and the and the business development side membership. Uh, side as, as my career progressed. And so, yeah, you jump in and now you're running a software company is, is a, a quick learning curve. Um, but no, we have all that. We've tried to automate as much of the, the trial and the software support. You build up, a, you know, our user's guide is, is fantastic. But no, we've got a, a big and um, very, very uh, high quality team that supports this product. So when did your board jump in hook, line and sinker, Brent? I mean, I mean, what was the, the kind of the, the process you, what kind of questions were you asking that was getting them to say, see the vision of this and to get outside there? But Brent, before you answer that, Tom, yeah. this, this is really interesting because this goes back 50 years. Uh, I know. Three, yeah. Like 50 years. I know. Like, but, but, so see, but, but, but here's the thing. I always say that the wheel, was developed a hundred years before it ever became the wheel. It was just developed as a square. And one day, a hundred years later, somebody started chiseling on it and it rolled down the hill and they said, holy crap, think of what we can do. And I kind of picture this being the same thing that you experienced, Brent, is it is yeah. you had this product that no one really could see the larger vision of what it could do if developed right. And that, and that was this conversation eight years ago, eight, nine years ago, where we really sat down and talked about you know, what do we want to be when we grow up, right? That conversation of, of potential. And, and it is, it seemed like, and it's still to this day, seems like low hanging fruit. The world moves on pallets, all right? Mm -hmm. 90 plus percent of everything in the United States touches a wooden pallet before you see it or use it. There are 2 billion wooden pallets in service every day in the United States. We are the supply chain. And so when you look at that component, right, you're already dominant market share. And in good times and bad, that market share hasn't shifted. And when you're the software program that allows the complete customization of that product, sky's the limit. Right. And we can do that globally. And we can provide, we can be integrated into your business model. You know, I don't, I don't like to use the word virus anymore. I use it pre-COVID, but ultimately we become so important. You can never, 
you can never move away from that system because the supply chain lives and breathes and works on it, right? You get the safety, you get the environmental component, you get the durability, you get the custom solutions. And that was the vision that, that, that got hold. And to do that, it needed significant investment. We're now um, in the area of unit load design, which is really the interaction of whatever the pallet is carrying. So if you've got, you know, corrugated boxes or barrels or pails, they're interacting with, uh, with the pallet. You can design a pallet based on that interaction to lower product damage, um, to lower overall weight, to increase the efficiency, but no one had done that detailed research to the level that it needed to be done to, to, to put it into a software program. Yeah. And that's what we did. Brent, I'm, I'm on your website and I'm looking at the primary picture on your website and, and you have stacks and stacks of pallets and they look like every pallet I've ever seen in my life. How much design innovation goes into pallets? Like, seriously, do we need a, a software program to to say you put a bunch of slabs on top of a couple other slabs of wood, wrap it up in some plastic. Like, I don't understand. They all look the same. What is so innovative about that? So I love that question. I just came back from a, a plant tour in Northern Alabama where robots were disassembling pallets, right? And you probably would say robots and robots are putting together pallets and making pallets. And, and, and there are some people in essence can design a pallet, hit print and the pallet will start, start getting put together or we'll, we'll go through the supply chain. You know, I'll talk to you a little bit about products um, and then I will uh, speak to you about uh, maybe some of your, you know, did you knows, but, but only about one third of all pallets meet what your vision of a pallet is. And your vision of a pallet is probably what you saw on the back of a Safeway and in some alleyway. And then maybe you burned it at the beach for some, <laughs> at the bonfires, you know, right? Yeah. At some bonfire, right? And, but when you start thinking about overall use, um, I mentioned earlier vinyl siding, that's a different pallet than, uh, what you need to ship Frito-Lay potato chips. And what about shipping um, fire hydrants? That needs a different kind of structure and a pallet. In fact, during this tour, that company makes 400 different kinds, different styles of pallets every week, right? So you, you start adding up every product out there from uh, shingles on your house right, to concrete masonry block I mentioned earlier, to the fast-moving consumer goods that, you know, service our, our you know, Safeways and, and, and other retail um, outlets, you realize it's truly infinite, truly infinite. And, and as, I, as I mentioned earlier, you're building one with a really hard oak is different than a real soft poplar. So you need different thickness, different width, different number of boards, different kinds of fasteners, Everything is is truly customizable, and that's where the software program shines. But, you I know, think it, your description, Tom, your description of the deck in the beginning was a perfect explanation to my question. I, I was being a little facetious, but leading towards the real question. But it was a mm -hmm. little facetious. I know they're not all the same. But you're, the way you described a deck and can it support the weight—that's a really great um, analogy. I yeah, think yeah. For, but you for know what I had to say to Brent that. is Brent's never been to a party at our pool deck. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but here, here's here's another piece of it though, Brent. I was sure that this is part of the the, the equation for someone is why pallets are so important and, and get them customized 
is I walk through heat treat plants, our group, the Metal Treating Institute, pushes the supply chain because nothing gets made in anything as metal until it's been heat treated for strength and longevity and flexibility. So I'm just going to walk around watching them put really small pieces on a pallet to really heavy pieces on a pallet. And if they go in the forklift and go to pick up the pallet and the pallet shatters because it's not the wrong mate, guess what? Part, really hard, really strong steel falls off a, a six foot um, forklift onto somebody and serious consequences happen right, from that. Right. So I, I see it from an absolute ins inside the plant. I see it from a really strict safety standpoint too, to make sure that product does not move like it should not move when it's, when, when it's being lifted. Right. And that's why so many industries now require the use of our software, not our members using it as a sales tool. And they do not as our members way to how can I uh, create a pallet, maybe in a different way that'll save some money for the, for the supply chain. But it's the supply chain itself saying, I want to assure the safety of this product. I want right. to assure my supply chain. And I, so I'm going to require you to use the pallet design system. Right. All so right. One of Tom, I think we're getting close to that point where uh do you, do you have another question before we have get one into more that question because i want questions. some real i want a real we've had a lot of good takeaway conversations so what the big thing people come to these association strong any podcast for i think is how does how does this change your value proposition to your members and how did you communicate that we just got done with a podcast two days ago that launched today on having effective communication to make sure members engage your value proposition how did this whole setup change your value proposition? What did it mean to your membership and the overall association? Yeah, there's an awful lot of association execs that would love to have a software program that's essential for managing your business as part of the association, right? And, and right. so you look at our membership retention numbers. Uh, if somebody is using the software, and not everybody does, there's different parts of the supply chain um, that we don't have time to dive in today. But, but in that segment that uses it, uh, it defines itself, right? right. I mean, they, they stay members forever. So what is the one thing, last question before we go to our takeaway. So what is the one thing that you learned in the process that you say, if you leave this call and you're looking to step into that world of innovation to find that thing in your, so what's the one thing that you want people to remember as they approach that process? You, gosh, you could go down a number of paths. I, I would say that your association needs to meet or be ahead of your members when it comes to speed of innovation. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I realize is is clearly is you better have that sense of urgency and mirror it or be ahead of it. You know, you 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 took the number one quote I say in my uh, what's your Uber keynote from Jack Welch when the speed of change outside the industry is faster than the speed of change inside your industry. It's the beginning of the end. And I think you just kind of summed it up right there. You gotta be ahead of your members, not far ahead, but just enough head enough to where you're leading them to a great place. So Dave, the takeaway, man, take it. Well, um, I, I think uh, Brent has enlightened me to this concept of private versus well then maybe that's not it's not private versus public it's um um for-profit versus non-profit I, I think there's a huge huge misconception in the association space with with lifelong association executives at for-profit companies are in it for the it, it's a greedy um path and it, it it's it's couldn't be further from the truth there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are in it for the mission in it to make change in it to innovate 
um, and the money is a byproduct of that. But ha- having that, I'm starting to go down a, a rabbit hole or jump on a soapbox and all those other uh, uh, metaphors. But um, I think my key takeaway is uh, a different perspective that there probably are more associations than I'm giving credit to that are truly innovative in terms of the value proposition they bring to the market. And I'm going to, I'm going to renew my observation of our, we got about a hundred um, associations working prop fuel right now. And I'm, I'm going to take a really close look at those that I work with on a regular, regular basis to try to figure out where is that innovation? Maybe we'll bring some of them on the podcast, Tom. So that, that was my takeaway is more enlightenment than something I've learned. So thanks, Brent. Absolutely. So Brent, what would be, what would be your big takeaway? No, I got to give Brent some more time. What, okay. what about you, right. Tom? You go now. So, so my big takeaway is just really reinforcing what Brent just said. We talked about that when the speed of change in your members is ahead of the speed of change in your association, it's not the beginning of the end, but it's going to start running that way. So my encouragement for anybody listening is I would go out to your association members and ask them a simple question. When you look at change and how fast it's happening today on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your association's ability to change with it and lead you in a good direction and, and see what your members think about how fast you're leading them in this fast paced world, you know? So I'm glad we had that conversation around that topic because that's a, that's a huge issue. Not every association is running as fast as they need to to help their members be successful today. Tom, did you know Brent has his MBA? I may not have known that, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, nor does it me. And and uh, so I, I I said there's a lot of association execs that have spent their lives in nonprofit. Brent is not one of them. Brent actually has spent some time in working for for profit. He was a forester. I don't even know what that is, but I'm sure you play with trees and stuff, right? Yeah, that's right. You sure the sustainability of this planet. It all starts with trees. <laughs> all right, Brent. What was your? Uh, maybe we should introduce them with a little more background, huh, Tom? Anyway, so t- Brent, what was your takeaway from the conversation today? Anything? Yeah, two things really jump out to me. The first is communication. You know, we have these conversations and it, it reminds me of the work, the challenge we have in communicating the vital role of wood packaging in the supply chain and, and how we connect with so many industries. You know, when, 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 we're, when we're talking about um, these issues, it seems to me that wood pallets are a solution that many folks maybe don't originally think of as a solution to some of these challenges. And so it just re- refreshes to me, reminds me, energizes me to, to look at our communications um, outlets. And I thank you for this opportunity because here's a, here's a great way to, to check some of that box. And the other is collaboration, right? None of these get resolved without people working together. You know, Tom, you've spoken to how many groups, right? And mm-hmm. everybody benefits from your insights that you had with other groups, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and whether it's NAM, CMA, and what we're doing, that's the National Association of Manufacturers, Council of Manufacturing Associations, what we're doing to learn off of each other, drive each other and challenge each other, so those are the two really, Dave, that I, that I pull from this, you know, when you speak to prop fuel and listening to them and seeing what they're doing and hearing from them and, and then maybe even bringing them on. I really do think that's, that's the foundation for where we go. So I thank you all for putting together this podcast because we all benefit from hearing what others say. 
Well, you know, whether there's uh, our one listener or even if we had uh, a dozen listeners, Tom, uh, again, my, my dry sense of humor. But I, I, I do this with you, Tom, because I really enjoy these conversations. To, I know some people get into podcasts for lead generation and personal brand awareness. For me, this is sincerely just because I really like talking about this stuff and it's, it's a pure curiosity for me. So I really appreciate you being a part of this. Brent McClendon, uh, the CEO and president of the National Wooden Pallet and Container Association. Thanks so much. Brent, thank you very much, man. Always good to see you. Look forward to seeing you at a live meeting sometime. Davey, always good to talk to you, my friend. And why is that, Tom? Because we're strong. And then there's an uh, association. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's try that Good talk Let's to you, Tom, Take two. We're, we're, we're strong and... Then we're associations. Right. <laughs> I always leave with my association. You know, I can't help it. Can't help it. Gentlemen, have a great day. We hope you gain some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about, or if you just want to reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom at TomMorson.biz or Dave at PropFuel.com. Give us a review if you haven't already, and don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.